0: Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would please, to Mark chapter 2. A little over 2,000 years ago, a man named John Mark wrote one of four histories of the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's a true story made up of eyewitnesses that gave their accounts, hundreds of people gave accounts of events that actually happened that would lead to changing the world of John's day with continuing effects to our day. Which explains why when he began his story, he described it as good news. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And while that story has changed the world, The way such change happens first, often, is through individual lives of ordinary people. You see, John Mark's larger story is a series of the connected stories of very ordinary people who came into contact with this world changer named Jesus. And one such story is of a man, a paralyzed man, whose name we are not even given A paralyzed man who has four faith-filled friends who are determined to get him one step closer to Jesus. Mark chapter two, verse one. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? We have never seen anything like this. One of the great understatements of all time. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always pleasing to you. And especially in this moment, for the sake of... Of your people in Jesus name, And all God's people said. If you bring up Google Maps on a laptop I just discovered this the other day when I was looking for some directions because I'm geographically challenged I found I, I saw there was this little orange kind of man down in the lower right-hand corner, and if you hover your cursor over that little guy, he reaches up as if to grab your cursor. And you can click on him, and then when you drag him across your screen, he like kind of swings back and forth like he's just hanging on for dear life, right? And then when you lift up on your mouse, bloop, he goes right down on the map. And it's amazing. It immediately takes you to a street view of wherever he drops. Well, what I want to do is I want to take you by your little shoulders and pick you up like that and grab you swinging, you know, from my hold. And I want to drop you a couple thousand years ago into this story, inside of it, so you can see a street-level view of what's going on. I want you helping me, using your imaginations like we do so often here at Grace, to stand there with these four faith-filled friends of this paralytic, to look and see a house. One that is quite likely Simon and Andrew's home because it's where Jesus had visited earlier in the story. If you look at chapter 1, verse 29. It's just a small, brown, one-room structure with a flat roof. And as you look closer, standing there with the four friends, you can see there's a little stairway on the side of the house that goes up to the top of that roof. That's where people will go to eat or to have a little party or sometimes to sleep in the cool of the night. The roof would have been made of wooden beams that they would have laid across the top and they would have put tiles between the wooden beams and then they would have put a series of thatch and then compacted earth and then thatch and then a little bit more compacted earth on that roof. You would see, standing there, the crowds which surround this little Palestinian home. They're looking in the windows. They're milling about the front door, pressing in wherever they can, doing so because clearly the home is already packed to the gills with people. And they're all just trying to get a glimpse. They're all just trying to get a little bit closer to Jesus. And now you can hear him. And it's clear, he's the draw. He's the reason that all of these people are there around that little house because he's doing what he always does as he moves from town to town. And it's why the crowd is here, drawn to him, because he is teaching and preaching, powerfully proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And as he does, he himself and through the power of his words is bringing about that kingdom. He is ushering God's rule and reign into that little house. He's bringing God's kingdom into John Mark's age. And we only have to rewind the story a little bit to to understand exactly what that looks like. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into, the, into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. In, in essence, in me. Repent and believe in the good news. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching So he's proclaiming the good news, and he's teaching the good news, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. It's going to be important later. And there's something else that happens so many times in the sphere of Jesus' preaching and teaching. When Jesus gets teaching and preaching, what happens? Healing starts breaking out. The effects and powers of sin are pushed back when the good news of the kingdom is reverberating in the space where Jesus is. I remember watching a Bible Project video one time that, and they wanted to animate this this way. And so what it looked like is where everywhere where Jesus walked, it was like grass started growing up, right? And bluebirds started landing on his shoulders, right? Like green things started exploding because it was like when he spoke and when he preached and he was just there, life burst forth. It was like everything before was in black and white. And when Jesus comes, it's in vivid colors, Why? Because he's bringing about the kingdom of God when he proclaims the good news of that kingdom. And when that happens, healing happens. Verse 23 of chapter 1. Immediately there was in the synagogue. So remember, verse 22. He's teaching in this synagogue on the Sabbath. And immediately, verse 23, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Why? Because the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God are going to war and Jesus speaks and this unclean spirit is cast out and everyone is amazed at his teaching that it has that kind of authority at an itinerant preacher with that kind of power so that at once chapter 1 verse 29 his fame spreads everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee and let's keep going verse 29 immediately he leaves the synagogue and he enters the houses the house of Simon and Andrew And what happens when he does that? He heals a woman with a fever and heals all who were sick and oppressed by demons so that the whole city gathers together at his door. And then, verse 38 of chapter 1, he said to them, Now let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Do you see? Two things at the core of Jesus' ministry. The preaching and teaching of the good news of the kingdom of God and his reign so that Demons flee. Sickness gets healed. People are made whole. Humanity flourishes. Kingdom come. This is the story. That's what Jesus has been doing leading up to the moment where you are right now dropped down by the little Google cursor. 2,000 years ago, that's what's been happening. So now you know why the four friends are here it's clear the news has spread of the kingdom of God spreading because of a man who, when he talks, it is like rivers of living water that just flow out and transforms everyone and everything around him. And everything becomes the way that it was meant to be in the presence of this man. And the four friends have come because they believe in Jesus. They are confident that they can just get their friend closer to him. He will be made whole. And they are so filled with love for their friend, they're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever cost would come to get their friend near this man named Jesus. But there's a problem. There are too many people. They're jammed in around this small home. There's no way in. And as you look on, right, you're standing with the friends there, a little problem-solving conversation breaks out among them. Friend number one. <clears throat> so what are we going to do? Friend number two. Well, I don't see any way around it. We're going to have to bring them up on that roof. Friend number three, and do what exactly? Friend number two, okay, dumb cuff, don't you see? We get up there, we tear through the roof, and we lower him down right next to Jesus. Friend number four, demolish a house to save our friend? Sounds like perfect idea to me. And so as you watch, off they go, and they do exactly what they had planned. Now, now imagine you're dropped inside the house. Imagine being in the house in this moment. There you are, jammed in with the crowd, hanging on every powerful word that Jesus is preaching. And you start to hear this scratching. What, what, is, what is that? And you look around, a few other people are kind of looking up, they start to hear a scratching too. And, and then some dirt, start, you look up, some dirt falls in your eye. Like, what, you know, what is up there? And everyone sees it now, even Jesus. And he stops teaching and proclaiming because he's looking up too. But he doesn't look bothered at all. He actually has a wry little grin on his face as he looks at a ceiling that is now actually coming down on all their heads. The four friends are moving quickly now, maybe afraid the owners of the house, right? Imagine you own the house. Hey, what are you doing? That's my roof. So now they're moving quickly thinking maybe they're going to run up around the stairs and try and stop them, trying to get through this before they can completely bring the thing down on everyone's head. So now there's an opening and it's large enough so they lower their friend down just like they'd planned. Imagine it. Imagine there's dust in the room and there's a little gleam of sunlight through the hole, and this man starts to get lowered down right before Jesus. And their friend is laying there looking up at Jesus, who's looking down at him, and then looks up at the friends. (laughs) You gotta just think he's smiling at this point, thinking, wow, you guys. (laughs) You guys. And what are they doing? They're looking back at Jesus smiling. I see high fives right now. Don't you? Like, it worked. (laughs) He's there. What's going to happen? Maybe they're starting to pass popcorn out. And do you know what Jesus sees when he looks up in the faces of these friends? John Mark tells us. He sees faith. Confident faith compassionate faith, creative faith. And I think that that fills Jesus with joy. I think he loves it. (laughs) And he turns his attention now to the paralytic and he says, look at your text. Son, your paralysis is not the way things are supposed to be. Stand up because in my father's name, you are healed. Grab your mat and walk, walk all the way home. That's not what he says though, is it? He, he looks down and doesn't say be healed, at least not yet, because that is not this man's greatest problem. You see, this man has a problem that is far more debilitating than paralysis, as devastating as this man's paralysis had to be in his life. So instead of saying, son, your paralysis is healed, Jesus says at this point in the story, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, dear friends, Jesus sees right through whatever seems to be the most evident and pressing need all the way to the very core of us to what is our most urgent and ultimate need. Jesus has the power not only to see what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. Jesus is aware of not only what we say, but of what we think. And Jesus has that kind of power because Jesus is the Son of God. So that when the scribes already, I think, a bit salty because everyone has been saying that Jesus' teaching has way more authority than theirs does. When the scribes are grumbling and questioning and charging him with a death penalty level offense of blaspheming God, as they are doing that in their minds, Jesus perceives it in his spirit and knows what they are speaking in their minds which I think also means that when he looks at this man in the same way Jesus looks at his heart. Do do you know this is the only place where forgiveness is declared without an obvious declaration of repentance? Only place that I've been able to see in the scriptures. And I think that's because Jesus looks in this man's heart and he sees everything there necessary. He sees repentance in this man's heart. He sees faith in this man's heart. Just like he could see the confident, compassionate, and creative faith of his four faith-filled friends, just like he can hear what isn't being spoken by the scribes, he sees that in this man. Everything necessary to take care of the far more urgent and ultimate need, and Jesus declares the forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And did you notice that? It's the forgiveness of God. Jesus doesn't say, I forgive your sins. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I remember David Platt reflecting on this passage years ago in a, in a teaching actually on evangelism. And he drew out, at this point in the story, the powerful connection between suffering and sin. He showed that what Jesus is doing here is dealing with the root of all of our suffering family, which is sin. Sin is the cause of this man's paralysis. Sin is the root of... COVID and cancer and Parkinson's and Lyme's and migraine headaches and chronic pain and macular degeneration and quadriplegia, every single ailment and form of suffering up to and including death finds its root cause in sin. And if sin is the root of all our sufferings, then we need someone who has the power to deal with Sin. That is what we need. We need someone who has the authority to forgive our sin. N.T. Wright, this story is a tiny version of the whole good news. Jesus teaching and healing. Jesus condemned for blasphemy. blasphemy. Jesus vindicated. Right? That's exactly what's going to happen before his cross. The paralyzed man's forgiveness and healing points forward to the new life that Jesus himself will have in the resurrection and will share with everyone who believes in him. So all you have to do this morning if you don't currently believe in this God-man named Jesus is come with the empty hands of faith and say, I believe. Actually, you don't even have to say it. You just have to think it and he'll know it. And he'll accept you. Jesus claims before all in this home to be the son of man, verse 10. So now you know why Jonathan read Daniel and so wonderfully, Jonathan, you so wonderfully pointed out the unity of the scriptures because Daniel tells us of this Jesus who's in this small little home that that man was given dominion and all glory and a kingdom, a dominion that is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So this man standing before these men has every bit of the authority he needs to declare this man's forgiveness of his sin. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, Forgiveness of your sins is possible. And when sin is gone, the root of suffering is severed. Paul says in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! So every example of suffering that you have will not have the last word. Cancer will not have the last word. Parkinson's will not have the last word. Lyme's will not have the last word. Chronic pain, COVID, migraine headaches, macular regeneration, quadriplegia, death itself will not have the last word. Jesus will have the last word. And the good news of the kingdom is not, listen to this, this is David Platt, the good news of the kingdom is not that Jesus will heal all your sicknesses now, the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus will forgive you of all your sins forever. Oh, okay, I don't have enough in me today. That is good news. That is good news. That's what I need more than healing right now in this age. That's what you need more than healing is forgiveness and freedom from sin. And yet, (laughs) this is how good God is. Sometimes he gives us both. Sometimes he gives us both. Sometimes Jesus meets both needs in this life. Just like his father, of whom we read in Psalm 103, he forgives us all of our sins and he heals us of all of our diseases. Sometimes he does that in this life. And so for the scribes and the four friends and the crowds watching and for us standing now among them in, are you still there? <laughs> still by the house? For all of us standing there to build our faith, to understand who Jesus is and all that he can do, that we may know that he has authority to do the work that we can't see. Excuse me. That he has authority to do the work that we can't see, forgive sins. He does the work that we can see and he heals the disease. Verse 11. Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, can you imagine what was going through the mind of the man the second after Jesus said, rise? You think about that? I mean, I wonder, was there like a tingling in his body so that he kind of knew something had changed. That this guy is saying, like, I can't get up. What are you tell me rise for? Did he feel a tingling? Or did he, did he just know because of what had happened in his heart that something now different was happening in his body? So that when Jesus said it, not ever knowing how to use his legs in his... I mean, imagine, right? He's like a little baby. You know how to walk. And Jesus says, rise and walk. And he knew how to. And can you imagine the four friends after hearing this sentence? Because like already, right? Like they're kind of like, wait a second. Forgive your sin. Like we didn't bring him here for that. We brought him here for paralysis healing, dude. And then they kind of get like, okay, yeah, that that's good stuff too. But whoa, he just said, okay, that's why we brought him. Look at him get up. And then right all over again, chest bumps. Like just high, like, Woo! Look at him go! And in the silence, maybe, at that point, now it all quiets down as he walks out. Can you imagine everybody in this house looking at each other, looking at Jesus? (laughs) Jesus looking back. I like to think that Jesus has a sense of humor because we do and we're made in his image. Like, they all look at this guy, like, slowly just walk out the house. Like, they knew him. They knew him. And he just walks out the house. And they're just kind of looking at each other, and they're looking at Jesus. You you see Jesus looking back going, yeah, I know. The rule and reign of God had broken in, and they've seen it, and they can feel it. They can feel it, and they all state the obvious. We've never seen anything like this. Wow. Today's a little bit of a different Sunday. I'm calling it Orienteering Sunday as we head towards fall. A little story for you. In my second year of seminary, our entire class was taken into the wilderness of northern Wisconsin for nine days with nothing but our backpacks and a couple of guides. I wasn't asked if I wanted to go. I wouldn't have. I'm very indoorsy. I mean, before I came to Colorado. (laughs) I was just brought there. Kind of grabbed like that little Google man and dumped in the wilds of northern Wisconsin. And the very first thing those guides did was fill our packs. So they gave us a backpack was bigger than this one. They filled it with all of the things that we would need, all the essentials. Proteins, carbs. They had this little thing that we were supposed to eat at various times called colon blow. That was fun. Water, right? Tablets to purify your water because you're going to be out for nine days in the wilderness with nothing but what you absolutely essentially need to get you through the woods. So we... Put on our backpacks to get ready to go and hike. Now, the very next thing that they taught us was orienteering. Anybody know orienteering? You know how to? So, orienteering is you're right. You pull out a map, kids. There's these paper things called maps. They're not on iPads or iPhones. And they pulled out this pulled out this thing called a compass. Kids, mom and dad will tell you what that is later. Should take you to a museum and show it to you. And they showed us how to orienteer, how to read a map, how to read our surroundings, how to get from point A to point B, to get closer to the goal that we were supposed to get to, right? Now, I learned a lot on that trip because, as I said, I was very indoorsy. I learned I could go further than I ever thought I could when I thought I couldn't take another step. I remember being on day two, middle of the day. My feet are killing me my back is killing me this heavy pet you know nine days of food and all the rest of it and I and the thought strikes me I don't know if I'm gonna make it until we get to camp tonight and then the thought strikes me I have seven more days after tonight (laughs) I learned how important it was on that trip to have people on the journey with me who could help me to take one more step I learned how important it was to have just the right equipment and nothing more because you don't want to carry anything that you don't absolutely need. I learned how to find pathways and to follow them home. And on day eight of that trip, when we all woke up that morning, our guides were gone. And all that was there at the little burnt out place where we had made a fire from the night before was a map, a marker for where we were supposed to get, and instructions to find our way home. After freaking out, well, you know the end of the story. I'm here, remarkably. Now, I'm not big on Vision Sundays. I find that rah-rah services and cheerleading sessions and chest-thumping amped-up displays of all the ministry triumphs we're gonna have in the year ahead, I find all of that very wearying. I found at this point in my life that many such endeavors only tend toward complexity and exhaustion. Just weighs Christians down with far more than you need for the journey home. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that we need direction You see, I believe that we need to be equipped. I believe we need a proverbial backpack filled with just the right essentials and nothing more. I believe that we need guides to teach and train and help us along the path. Goodness, to show us where the path is in the first place. I believe that we need fellow journeyers along the way who will walk with us and help us find our way to our objective. I believe that we need a map and skills of orienteering to show us the way and show us what is required to get there. And I believe that we need to know where there is. And family, our goal is Jesus. It's that simple. There is no need, in the famous words of George Bush, to overcomplexify it. <laughs> everything we do and everything that we are about is connected to taking one small step closer to Jesus. Which means that the proclamation and pursuit of Jesus is primary. This is why we as humans exist. We were meant to be with Christ. And the reason Grace Church therefore exists is to be a place where anyone can do that. Anyone can grow closer to Jesus. So how do we do that? Okay, that that would be a valid question of you to ask as a regular attender, a guest guest, a member of this church, of the elders and the pastors of this church. What's the plan? How do we grow one step closer to Jesus? Well, it started five months ago, partly. Not as if, you know, grace started when I arrived. But what started, do you remember? A three-sermon series called A Church Where Anyone Can Grow that sought to introduce and start, just start, to create The kind of environment, okay, so that's the first thing I think that we need. The aim is grow closer to Jesus. What environment do we need to create? Like, you know, like a greenhouse where you put plants in and you you create just the right environment so the maximal growth can happen? That's what we need to do. What's the kind of environment that we need to create? And do you remember what the equation was? For those of you who were here for that, what was the equation? Oh, geez, you put it up there too soon. Well, now y'all know, the you cheaters. <laughs> the gospel, the good news, plus safety, plus safety, plus time, is the kind of environment where anyone can grow. The gospel, good news for bad people. Because <sighs> we're, all, we're all bad people, aren't we? Talked to someone before the service this morning, and She told me about some people that it's intimidating to come to a church. It's intimidating because they don't feel like they fit, like they belong. That's the kind of people that are supposed to be here. Isn't that what hospitals are for? Hospitals aren't for people who are healthy. They're for people who are sick. And didn't Jesus say, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners, because they don't need a doctor. Sick sinners need me. So raise your hand if you're a bad person who needs Jesus. Amen. Good news. We need need wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible. Constant immersion. Safety. A non-accusing environment. No embarrassing anyone. No manipulation. No oppression. No condescension. condescension a church environment where anyone seeking Jesus has nothing to fear. You come to grace, you have nothing to fear in Jesus. Listen, he will, he's gonna get in your business, okay? He's gonna do that, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of that. And time, no pressure, not even self-imposed pressure, which is often the worst kind of pressure, ain't it? no deadlines on growth. Did you hear that? No deadlines on growth. Why? Because you won't stop growing until either you die or Jesus comes back. So it doesn't end. We're just in this process together. Urgency, but not hurry. Because no one changes quickly. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. Why? Because God is patient. And we should be too. So that's, right? So our aim is one step closer to Jesus, an environment of of constant immersion in the good news of the kingdom of God, his rule and reign coming and operating in us through the good news, safety, and time. That's what we're working on. And now, as pastors and elders, we've got three pathways to growth. Because how is that going to happen? There's an environment. Here's our aim. There's an environment. How is that going to happen? And we think that to grow one step closer to Jesus, we need some various different pathways. So you should have got a handout when you came in this morning. Here it is on the screen. If you didn't get a handout when you came in this morning, because... Gloriously, we have so many that we ran out. So many people we ran out. So George is at the back there. Raise a hand if you'd like to get this handout. You could always get one on the way out as well. But let me just go quickly through this. We have the Sunday morning gathering, le- what we're calling learning environments, and connection and community groups. So if you look in your, on this little sheet of Pathways to Growth, you turn that over on the back side and you see some de- detail there. And so here's, here's our Here's a picture of what we think God does. Why we want you to come five Sundays. The Sunday morning gathering is a kind of oasis for weary travelers who've just completed their journey through another week. We come to see Jesus, to hear about him through God's word. I hope you've seen him today. To receive the grace of encouraging conversation with other travelers. travelers, all of us longing to take one step closer to him. Through this and more, We leave, we will leave now, God willing, refreshed. Ready for another week of spreading the good news of his kingdom in our community. Helping at least one other person take one small step closer to Jesus. You see, that's what we want Jesus to do here Is the way that he was spreading, like that Bible Project animated video, he walks around and life is flowing and rivers of water are going out and vivid colors are getting into the black and white. Do you understand that Jesus has placed his spirit inside of you to go out to do that? (laughs) How fabulous is that? That we get to go out in our little spheres of influence and where we walk, we're just bringing life. Bringing life bring in goodness, bring in hope, bring in love, bring in compassion, the good news of Jesus. It blows my mind that he has entrusted this to us, but he has, and he's given us the power of the Spirit to bring it about. That's why you come to the Sunday morning gathering, and that's why coming here 25 Sundays a week, 25 Sundays a year, that won't work for you You see, this is not about me. It's not about Grace Church. It's not about our attendance records. It's not about our budget or our mortgage fund. This is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we want you to be refreshed through the preaching. Wasn't preaching central? Did you see how central preaching was to Jesus? How important that was for people along with the healing? You need to be here to receive the good news and go out and give the good news. Second. Pathway is learning environments. As we saw in the story of Jesus, teaching was critical to the expansion of the kingdom and the transformation of souls. So being a part of a learning environment where the outcome is, in, 2 Peter's, in Peter's words, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what learning environments are for. To grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. So we, that's essential. We need knowledge of Jesus to grow, and to influence others. So you can see the learning environments that we have listed there. And that pathway, so what we're seeking, is for learning environments to shake hands really well with community and connection. Because you don't need just knowledge about Jesus, you need relationships with others who love Jesus. Who can put that knowledge into action. Who can encourage you, rebuke you, confirm you, affirm you. You can confess your sins to them and they to you. We need both. Do you see that? To grow one step closer to Jesus? I I have to learn stuff about them and have to be involved in community so they can expose me and I can experience Jesus among them. You see, we need people in our lives just like the paralytic needed four faith-filled friends, right? (laughs) Who had confident faith and creative faith and compassionate faith. So here at grace we're about moving one step closer to Je- helping people move one step closer to Jesus that's that's the aim right and then we said the environments and now we've got the pathways and there's just one other thing okay it's the way that that happens we've got the what the how and now the way in other words what are the values of someone on the path going towards Jesus What are the behaviors of a follower? What are the requirements of a disciple? So next Sunday, we are going to begin a new sermon series for eight weeks called Next Steps. This series was born out of my own personal pursuit. I think it was about five years ago, I started thinking about the word disciple and it it struck me, do I really understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Do do I know what makes up being a disciple, living that way, following him? What does Jesus expect of me as a disciple? What are the essentials and nothing more? Because here's the thing, I think churches weigh people down with a lot of things they wanna stuff, right? They wanna stuff this thing so it's filled and overflowing and it's so heavy, you just can't carry, you can't even put it on. And it's stuff that doesn't matter and it's not essential and it's not core. So I was on this search in the Bible with Jesus to figure out, Jesus, what is absolutely required to make it home? Wouldn't you like to know that? All right, well, come back next week. And for the next eight weeks. Because then, I believe, grace... That's it. That's it. This is all we need to get one step closer to Jesus. Gentle environment of the good news and safety and time. Three pathways of growth, Sunday morning gathering, learning environments, community, relationship, and eight key steps that move us along the journey. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is live that out if you'll let me be one of your guides here at Grace till I die it won't be easy it won't I have learned in churches that we tend towards complexity our hearts just we just tend towards complexity we're going to have to fight that but I will fight with you along the way to help us keep oriented so I'm asking will you join us in this will you join us Because you know what? You have a part to play. You see, our job as pastors and elders and the teachers that are going to be involved in this and even leaders in community groups is to help equip you and to show you the pieces and to show you the way. But you have to pick up the map because we're not always around. And we someday won't be. I could get hit by a bus if there were buses tomorrow in Salida. That sentence was coming out of my mouth and I, like, I, okay, okay. I won't always be here. Pastors won't always be here just like my guides weren't there on day eight in Wisconsin. And I had to find my way home. But they had equipped me. They had given me what I needed. So you're gonna have to take ownership. You have a responsibility. It is our faith but it is also your faith. And I am praying it'll be faith like the, like the four friends. Confident, compassionate, creative and contagious because we do this, worship team, would you come up? We do this together. <laughs> That's the great thing about the Christian life, is it's not meant to be lived alone. You're not supposed to be on your own. It, if you're new here today, and you came alone, Maybe you're Christian or maybe you're just investigating this guy called Jesus and you don't have a friend. I have a suggestion for you. Walk up to someone and say, Hi, my name is Earl. Would you be my friend? (laughs) Do that. All the introverts in the room just went, (laughs) "Ooh!" So maybe if you're an extrovert and you see someone new, maybe you could just walk up to them and step into the awkward and say, Hey, do you need a friend? You know anybody here? I'd like to know you because I'm an extrovert and that's what I do. (laughs) Are you willing to join us in this journey? It's gonna be exciting. I think God has great things in Sora family. I, I really do. I trust that he wants to use us in this community to help other people get one step closer to Jesus. Because you know what Jesus does? He does things like turn paralytics into walkers. He turns mourning into dancing. He brings beauty from ashes. He turns shame into glory and graves into gardens.